0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Hey, this is Dave. Just want to let you know that we had some technical difficulties this week. So Curtis's audio isn't as clean as it normally would be. Might be some pauses. And some skips along the way. So, apologize for that in advance. We're reacting to week six on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Show. I'm Dave Cabin, joined by Curtis Patrick. He's back. Uh, we're two of the owners here at RotoViz, ready to break down this week six action. A lot of really fun games this weekend, I thought. Some blowouts, but I guess, you know, a couple of couple of good games. Uh, in the later portion, you had New England and Dallas, which was a good game. And then uh, Sunday night game too had some uh, interesting twists and turns too as it played out last night.
2: It turns out that you do have to play, in most in most situations, you have to play a full 60 minutes or more of football to win. Um, my Cleveland Browns wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> uh, perhaps the worst <laughs> drubbing of the week, albeit at the hands of the, the Arizona Cardinals who continue to just... Impress at every opportunity. They didn't need their head coach, um, their offensive coordinator, their GM, um, or their all-world defensive lineman to easily discard of uh, my Cleveland Browns. So that that was a little bit depressing. But like you said, from a fantasy perspective, um, tons of uh, interesting player performances. Um, other key headline injuries that will you know as we get into this middle third of the season now. Um, you know, I think it's really going to shape how leagues end up, um, turning out, uh, as we head into the fantasy playoff, some ruler they are absent and we don't know if they'll really come back until we're nearing the fantasy playoffs. So lots of intrigue Dave, as we enter week seven.
1: Yeah, definitely a lot of, uh, a lot of situations that are going to make fantasy managers really need to sit down and plan out their strategy moving forward. But, uh, Let's hear your player of the week.
2: Oh, this one feels really good. Um, I'm going to stay. I feel like we've we've drawn lines between the AFC and the NFC on this show. So I'm going to stick in the AFC for the player of the week here, just in case you mention this guy amongst your notable NFC players that I'm thinking of. But let's, uh, let's, let's shine a light on Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, just 16 opportunities. Man, 16 opportunities, 28.8. Um, you know, big plays, breakaways, that size-speed combo that we all were salivating over uh, as a prospect uh, for Taylor really shining through. The, the only thing... Taylor has games like he had this weekend, you know, 14 carries for 145 rushing yards and two touchdowns, even the most irrational of coaches who are beholden to some sort self-inflicted RB committee, regardless of the talent on your roster, will have to eventually um, give Taylor more work. So uh, Taylor does it for his fantasy owners in spite of, and we we can get that weekly floor raised with more workload moving forward. But Taylor, the RB2 entering Monday Night Football, trailing only uh, Leonard Fournette.
1: Yeah, this is unbelievable. Yeah, absolutely. snoozer of the week. Unbelievable. Uh, All right, the snoozer of the week. Oh, man, in the wrong sound of it. The snoozer (laughs) definitely does not get applause. Snoozer of the week is a player on a team that's dealing with some injuries. Nonetheless, it's hard to make excuses for this player. And that would be... Daniel Jones, 29 of 51, Curtis, 242 yards, zero touchdowns, three interceptions, four rushing yards. For those of you at home, in many leagues, he did not get to five fantasy points. In fact, he might have been sitting out uh, around 4.1 fantasy points. Not what you like to see. We might be talking about a couple of the players that he's throwing to a little bit later, but uh, if you weren't a league and you had to start Daniel Jones this weekend, I apologize for your weekend likely being ruined.
2: Yeah. Um, I I think really the, the New York football giants um, that's a team on the verge of snoozing too. I mean, we, we, there's no Saquon uh, to, to get the excitement going. Kadarius. Tony sick in the first quarter and then you know abruptly had to leave. Um, this this whole front office coaching staff and many of the players are kind of in a deep slumber right now. So um very appropriate uh because he's sharing that bed with you know a lot of dudes right now.
1: Yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, let's hit up some game notes. We are gonna start in the NFC and The team that we're talking about here is going to be the Seattle Seahawks in that game last night was an interesting one with the Steelers, Alex Collins. So his last two games, 18 rushing attempts, 74 yards, a half a touchdown and two targets for 13 PPR points. It's a pretty decent line for a guy filling in, believe he had 20 rushing attempts last night that's solid work curtis another interesting thing is in the last two games we've seen dj dallas get four rushing attempts three and a half targets but i bring up the seahawks because it looks like the team is going to be activating rashad penny from the injured reserve chris carson should be out for at least two more weeks. It's interesting that before he went down, he was only averaging 14 rushing attempts in one and a half targets per game. So I would have to imagine that we still see Alex Collins getting usage. It would seem, though, that there's a decent possibility that Rashad Penny gets back in this lineup, removes DJ Dallas from getting that low-level opportunity that he was having. I know that you had talked pretty poetically, if you will, about Rashad Penny got a lot of people Mm -hmm. jazzed up on him before the season. We're finally going to get to see another crack at it for him in 2021. How much do you think this might shift the tide in Seattle?
2: I'm so pumped. I'm so pumped. Um, You know, Alex Collins has, has looked um, good. And that that's actually even more encouraging uh, when we think about Penny working his way into the lineup, because if, if a pedestrian player, like Alex Collins and can do that. Again, Rashad Penny can do even more. Um, absolutely can do even more. Uh, he's a better athlete and he's, and he's popped um, when he's gotten his chances. You know, it's, it's not been a question of talent there. It's been a question of um, which is, you know, maybe the most important ability. I don't know if you saw this in the, in the uh, Pete Carroll liner from today, Dave, but Alex Collins is not guaranteed to play in week seven. He injured his guy uh, in the later phases of the game against the Steelers. So not only could Rashad Penny be activated, he may be activated as the, the immediate like bell cow. I mean, this is like this is so exciting. I mean, Penny's my number two owned player across, you know, a sixty plus best ball team portfolio this year. Just been taking zeros on him. luckily, uh, you know. Cooper Cup's the only player and more of our roster more of. So, you know, those teams are very excited for Penny. But I mean, my love affair with Penny dates back, you know, to (laughs) him as a prospect. And a lot of this is like, you know, it's a little bit of a, a hopeless romance that's kind of like one sided. Like, I just see all his potential, but he's never like responded to all of my advances and like happen, like get, you know, just all of the opportunity. And I mean, the Seahawks, they're going to have to have something. Um, they're going to have to have something because with Geno Smith, at am um, not granted this against the Steelers who are kind of in a desperate situation. That was an absolute must win for them at home against an opposing backup. Uh, they're playing in a very competitive AFC North division. That's a tough spot for Geno Smith to come into they can keep this team at 500 without, you know, the offense making a shift, you know, Ty- Tyler Lockett, basically a non-factor all of the timing that he has down with the rust d- definitely does not exist with Geno Smith. And, and the Seahawks didn't seem interested or perhaps were unable to scheme touches, shorter touches for DK Metcalf in this game. So they need a running back that can blow up and be available for those little swing pack passes and those Texas routes. Uh, and so you know a one-two punch with Collins if he's healthy, or you know perhaps even just being a true bell cow for a couple of weeks while Russell Wilson heals up. Man, it's really exciting. I'm so glad you started with the Seahawks because as depressed as I am, weapons, I'm penny.
1: Yeah, so you hit on the the point there that I wanted to make, which was we've seen Alex Collins looking good. Carson was playing well before. I think that it's fair to assume this is a team where if there's some room uh, for back to get some opportunity and he can capitalize on it with Penny coming back, you already have Carson and then now Collins dealing with some injuries. There's a lot of runway It would look like for him to get back and make an impact. But uh, what do you have for me over in uh, AFC land?
2: Okay. So in the AFC um, is, is Najee Harris now, is, is he going to be a league winner? I mean, with with all of these round one running backs dropping like flies, and with Ben Roethlisberger, you know, I, I mean, he doesn't have Juju Smith Schuster anymore, so you know, there's no concern about touches going that direction. Doesn't seem to be able to, pull, um, down the field. So it's basically the Deontay Johnson and Najee Harris show in Pittsburgh, with all of the touches going to those two guys. And Harris, I mean. 24 sevens another touchdown nearly 25 ppr i mean this guy it's it's not an efficient it's not an efficient uh look um this is very rookie year Trent. uh, for those of you that have been playing that long um but it it doesn't matter because what does matter for fantasy purposes is that score that he's putting up and no one's going to be eating into this workload he looks very equal to the task they not giving away the high value touches when they get in close. When he's scoring receiving touchdowns. He could end up leading all running backs and targets this year. I mean, the way he's being used, it is absolutely crazy. Um, so Pittsburgh, is, this is this is Najee's team. Um, you know, the, it's also fun that you know Deontay Johnson uh, is, is kind of back to his elite ways. Um, but but I really it flows through Najee, and he was available in the second round. Um, right up until the beginning of the season. I mean, okay, very occasionally was like a one two turn pick, but it really seemed to be falling into that, you know, two three to two seven range. And man, for those teams that started in the first round with like Tyreek Hill there, or even for, you know, a running back heavy start in that range would have looked something like Derrick Henry plus Najee Harris. That combination
1: of players, Dave. I mean Najee it is getting out of hand I mean to think the number of opportunities that he's seeing in comparison to other players is nuts but when you go back and you look at things like high value touches like we talked about last week and they're pretty much all going through him it's now like not only are the all of the quality touches really going through him but pretty much like all of the touches in general so yeah I mean to own right now backs to roster he's on the top of that list so looking very exciting for him. I also think it's notable, so, n- notable what you mentioned about uh, Deontay Johnson too. So let's pop back over to the NFC. Next team that we're going to talk about, Daniel Jones's New York Giants, <laughs> who we talked about earlier. And I wanted to bring this up because, as you mentioned, Kadarius Tony looks like he could be struggling Um with some health issues, we know that pretty much the entire passing attack has has been struggling with with health issues, health concerns. Sterling Shepard comes back. Um, he saw fourteen targets in their game against the Rams. Now, New York's schedule is not too, not setting up too easily. They have two games with Philadelphia still coming up. A team that's been very limiting in wide receivers as far as fantasy points go. Right now, though, I think that in that offense, Shepard is a player that's going to have to remain involved, has been able to do things with his targets, averaging nine a game on the season when he's played with 75 receiving yards, 0.2 touchdowns, 73 air yards, and 15.8 PPR per game. He's actually inside the top 20 right now. Now, as much of a dumpster fire as New York is looking like, I could be in the minority on this, Curtis, but I actually would be somewhat interested in making a play for for Sterling Shepard, because I feel like at this point he's going to be so ingrained in that offense. And I actually do think that he has the skill to kind of turn that opportunity in a bad situation into serviceable fantasy points for a team. How crazy do you think that is?
2: I mean, I don't think it's crazy. Nothing's crazy in. 2021, man. <laughs> this is, I, I think, he who reacts, he or she who reacts most quickly. I mean, that's almost more important than getting it right. Like, just yep. continually churning and adjusting because we're seeing like injuries are occurring at, at a higher rate. I don't know if that's actually true or not. Uh, perhaps it's just the high profile injuries or the injuries to skill players. Um, But I mean, the Giants, the Giants wide receiver core seems to completely be flipped on its head nearly every week. But Kenny Galladay is not a lock to come back in week uh, seven, nor is Darius Slayton. Um, We don't have a prognosis on Kadarius Toney yet, but even if he is healthy, the team hasn't really driven looks anywhere else. I mean, Evan Ingram was back. He was was completely. I mean, he, he never got going. Um, this weekend doesn't look to be a part of, of the game and it completely starved for playmakers. So, yeah, I mean, it kind of in the same way that Brandon Cooks has continued to produce at, you know, a pseudo elite rate for the Texans, just by their and not having great quarterback play. I mean, I think that either Shepard or Tony or potentially both could continue to do that uh, for the Giants. Um, so yeah, I, I don't mind that at all. He might be a player that in a manager is willing to move in a redraft scenario. He just doesn't really have that name brand appeal. Um, like I would, I would be willing to take the shot, like trade, like Alan Robinson for Sterling Shepard. It's a great His example. Do that. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, I'm very much on board with that, Dave. I think that's a sharp play. It's the type of play where it's not going to burn you because Alan Robinson is just sitting there he you how much you spent to draft him and it's very difficult to put him on your bench um and but he also seemingly has very little ceiling despite collecting like all the air yards um the the bears just don't seem to be able to put it all together uh whereas um Shepard and Jones have shown that rapport in the past um Shepard actually um, right there, for the best uh, AYA for Daniel Jones this season, both uh, actually with decent marks, um, uh, you know, over nine and a half AYA. Uh, and then in Daniel Jones' career, amongst receivers with the least 50 targets uh, with an 8.3 AYA, next uh, closest receiver uh, is Slayton. But, you know, over the course of the larger sample size, he's just at 7.7 AYA. So just speaking to the the quality of that bat, that quarterback wide receiver, for battery for suggestion.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Glad that you are on board there. What else do we have going on in the AFC? You know what, what exactly the the Browns?
2: I need you to kind of almost talk, talk me through it, man, because listen, like Chubb's out. Landry's out. Baker destroys his left shoulder. Like, can you start any Browns? Like, let's just look ahead to Thursday night against the Broncos. Yep. Like, do you you trust any Browns to start? Um, If uh, we know Hunt's probably going to hit IR. That's the update from today. Chubb, I, I think was presumed to be out. One of the reasons they sat him this week is maybe you get two sits for him really quickly. And, you know, in this, in the home tilt against Denver, you're hoping, you know, to squeak one out on, on Hunt's back, but you can't do that now. And... Baker may be injured. I mean, who, who is startable in Cleveland? And if you're sitting here like as a Chubb or Hunt manager, I mean, what, what are you doing? Like, what do you do with Kareem Hunt in redraft? If, if he's expected to be out four to seven weeks, can you afford to hold him all the way into your playoffs if your redraft league does not have an IR spot? I mean, this is a very difficult situation and there just isn't a lot out there in terms of quality Uh, on the running back waiver wire so it's tempting to hold but at the same time this is a starting spot that you've got to fill in the cracks for
1: yeah man i mean this is a really really tough one so i guess the the first place we need to start here is even in thinking about the browns if baker is out the backup is case keenum um in terms of and i'll throw this back to you before i answer the rest of it because maybe you have better intel on keenum at this point than i do Uh, Do you have any feel for how differently this offense would operate if Keenum's there? Um, Or or if the team views him as a, a guy that they can do the same things with? We're driven by the
0: search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't think I don't think that the offense is limited whatsoever. I mean, if anything, the offense is tailored to Baker's specific skill sets now. Yep. I mean, they still like to do uh play action rollouts, get Baker on the move. I mean, Baker is at his most dangerous when he's on the move. Um, throwing, you know, really the intermediate uh or deep intermediate routes. I think Keenum can do a lot of that stuff, but I also think Keenum is better. Um I, I guess Maybe more accurate in terms of just sitting back there and peppering from the shotgun, but mm-hmm. I also don't think that that's the way the Browns would want to play if they're forced to start. Keenum. Yep, the way they would prefer to, if they were forced to start Keenum, would be to go with the run-heavy attack. And I don't know if they have the horses to do it now. So, yep. I mean, I think that I think the players to talk about uh, that I would want to highlight um, when we're talking about the Browns because these are players that I think you can make waiver wire plays for. Um, one of the, one of the guys that's really popped in the last couple of weeks, and I think has an opportunity actually to be a big time dynasty mover over the next couple of weeks is Donovan Peoples Jones. Yep. Um, you know, he, he didn't break out in college, uh, despite being, you know, kind of a, a blue chip prospect at Michigan, um, urban med that if Donovan Peoples Jones didn't go to Michigan, he would have been in top 10 NFL draft pick. Um, You know, that's a little bit sensational, but he is kind of playing like it. I mean, he definitely profiles differently than anybody else in the Browns wide receiver core. Uh, A size speed leaper, um, you know, almost in the mold of an AJ AJ Green type player. And he posts a a line of 480 and two, including an incredible catch at the end of the first half, a a 66 yards in the air bomb from Baker uh, (laughs) to, to DPP. But especially if, you know if, if Beckham's not at full strength um or if Keenum were to start uh for a week or two dynamics going on there one you know the potential backup connection uh people's Jones would have gotten more reps with Keenum uh in the off season than he would have with with Baker and we see oftentimes when a backup comes in he doesn't necessarily continue to target same uh frequency of the starting quarterback um that happens nearly every year um uh, but also i mean I think even if Mayfield continues to start his, his utter lack of chemistry with uh, crosses multiple seasons now. And for whatever reason, he and DP with Melio, you can transfer and throw. So I, you know, I think he is kind of, I mean, he's basically in must um, so add territory. So see got Adam um, Beckham has uh, a tendency to, to get hurt. We don't know specifically when Landry's coming back yet. And as long as the two of those players are not available, I think people's Jones is startable in in given week that you look for Thursday night as a potentially spot starter at running back uh, would be Dearness Johnson. Uh, we saw Dearness Johnson uh, produce um, uh, some, some pretty nice numbers. And, um, I think uh, the Dallas game was one of those big games. Uh, but if, if he's just put in there as the the bell cow, as long as the Browns get one or two of their tackles back uh, you know, I. I th- go the ground uh, work could go Dearness Johnson's way. So I'd prior to- prioritize them that way from a waiver wire perspective, DPP and then Johnson, just because I think DPP has more like season long appeal uh, f- from here on out. He's uh, position. You have a thought on either one of those guys, since we can't necessarily rely on Trevor hunt uh, with the Brownies.
1: Yeah. I-, I think that I'm in agreement that uh, people's Jones uh, is the place that, uh, I would would be more interested in going to first because we've already seen him put some things together. I think that, like you said, when you're looking at the other receivers that are there, you can tell a compelling story that we're already seeing play out to a degree as to why he remains involved. Um, I would avoid... This is my personal opinion here, but in a situation like this, I don't know if I would pop in the, the the backup running back coming into the fold on that Thursday night match short week, especially with the way that we saw the Browns already look. Um, I do think that he's a player worth adding given that, uh, you know, running backs that are going to come into this type of opportunity are not a commodity that we commonly see at this point in the year in relation to what you do with Kareem hunt. I think at this point, you keep him on your team. You f- take another two to three weeks to feel out the situation. Now, that's actually a lot. That's a really long time, though, on a team that might need those spots. So I'm actually going to answer this like this. If you're in the position where your team is kind of thin, you need to make moves then I think that you really need to evaluate if there's other moves out there that sustain you and get you through those two two to three weeks and position you for the playoffs. And you might actually have to let go of Hunt. If you have the depth and you're, you know, you're, well-positioned to make your way to the playoffs, then I think that you keep him. Um, But it is kind of scary when you hear stuff like four to seven weeks, because normally these things tend to go towards the end of that estimate. At which point, if you're sitting on him for the seven weeks, you basically have um, sacrificed a pretty substantial spot um, on your roster. So to close that out, I guess my final thought there would be that um, if you do hold him the two, three, maybe even if you get to four weeks and it's looking like he's not going to be back to, you know, the seventh week. Don't get sucked into the idea that because you held on that long, you need to keep holding him. Like it is okay to let go of great players if they're not able to contribute to your team.
2: Yeah, I think I think you summed that up uh, perfectly there There at the end. Let's let's kick it back to the NFC, Faith.
1: Yeah, sure. So the final team we're going to talk about is... The Arizona Cardinals, because I wanted to take a little bit of a look here at how things have broken down in that receiving core thus far. Coming off of the weekend, we saw that ridiculous uh, two touchdown performance for DeAndre Hopkins, some highlights, but he actually only had four targets. Now, when you're DeAndre Hopkins, you don't need a lot of targets. A.J. Green Curtis, six targets, 79 yards and a receiving touchdown. Christian Kirk actually led the team with eight. Of course, he also found the end zone and Rondale Moore had, uh, just four targets, but on the year, we're seeing a couple of interesting things, uh, Kyler Murray using his receivers in a fairly, uh, similar way. So DeAndre Hopkins, 6.3 targets, Christian Kirk, 5.2, AJ Green, 5.3, Rondale Moore, 4.7. So they're all seeing a fair amount of work. Uh, With Rondale Moore, one of the most interesting things is at this point, his air yards per target are just 2.5, but he's averaging 10.1 yards after the catch, which just speaks to the things that this guy can do and is another reason to be really encouraged about his career moving forward. The other note here is that DeAndre Hopkins is averaging one receiving touchdown per game. Christian Kirk, half a touchdown, AJ Green, half a touchdown and Rondell Moore, uh, two tenths of a touchdown. So I think that that really just speaks to how good Kyler Murray has been, how good this offense has been. And I think that on any given week, Any of the four of these wide receivers can merit consideration for your lineup. Are they always going to hit? No. Um, but the potential is there. So I just kind of wanted to quickly highlight that because it's kind of interesting how things have broken down for this team thus far. Yeah. I, um, having,
2: that's one of the games that, uh, snap for. And, uh, I was surprised to hear that Christian Kirk only had eight targets because in that game, it actually felt like he had eight drops. Um, Yeah. He valued targets, but he also had, he had some really frustrating drops too. Um, And I think at some point during this season, Now he's not being targeted in the same area of the field. Always that it does feel like he gets more intermediate level targets than Rondell Moore. Um, But at some point I could see them kind of flip flopping in terms of uh, Kyler's, you know, preference at some point he's not going to trust Kirk anymore in those tough spots. And it's, I mean, Hey, last year at this, this time, the Steelers looked awesome. They were humming along undefeated team looked like the best offense in, in football. It's a long way between now and the end of the season. Seattle always looks great the season. In week ten, week twelve, week fifteen, does the Arizona offense still operate this way and with this level of success? And our target spread this this way? When you when you watch the offense go, it's still very clear that DeAndre Hopkins is totally unguardable, um, and so you, you have to think that when they get into those spots, when a team can't hang with them. I bet the target distribution will look a little different. It's just the right now your scheme. Yeah. All All right. right. Yeah. Let's go back over to the AFC. I got one more team. I got one more team I want to talk about. All right, let's do it. And let the team we should talk a little bit more about, but then we can also talk about, you know um, you know, the tertiary option and how disappointing is being. So the number two, we're talking AFC. The number two wide receiver, the number wide receiver in the AFC through six weeks, it's Jamar Chase. It's Jamar Chase, the rookie Jamar Unreal. Chase. Um, and, and incredible, absolutely incredible. He's averaging eighteen point seven PPR. Um, you know he's he's scored and uh, he scored in all but one game. Um, well he's he's averaging point eight touchdowns. Rather, I think he does have a multi touchdown game. Um, but he's averaging almost a touchdown a game and he's, he's doing it on less than seven targets per game. I mean, his efficiency is just through the roof. Um, the, the Bengals have done a decent job of spreading the ball around as well, but eventually you have to figure that efficiency is going to lead to even a higher target concentration. But Jamar chase is not disappointed. It kind of feels weird to draft him higher than T Higgins, uh, leading into this season, just because Higgins looked so strong last year had the year of NFL, uh, uh, seasoning and just rework with Joe Burrow, but that, that battery's picked right up uh, where it left off at LSU between chase and Burrow. And, uh, he looks like just an absolute premier, uh, dynasty asset. I think, uh, you're insane. If you don't already value him as a top three wide receiver in dynasty, uh, I know that we're going through, you know, our dynasty rankings updates, Dave, uh, and I've got him in my, in my top tier, along with Tyreek Hill and Justin, Justin Jefferson. I mean, it only took uh, a month for him to reach those heights. <laughs> but I think, you know, when you when you look at the other pass catchers in Cincinnati, it's pretty disappointing and disheartening. Uh, what we're seeing Boyd is seeing six targets a game. Um, you know, only a half target fewer uh, per game than Jamar Chase, but he's turning that into just 10.5 PPR per game. He's yards per game. Um, He only has uh, one touchdown uh, this season and uh, him. He's catching 74% of his targets, but it just doesn't matter. He's not, he's not, uh, the targets are down enough to basically render him as a replacement level flex player. And that's not what a lot of people thought he was a value, you know, potential wide receiver three. That's not really a meaningful group of wide receiver four through six is unfortunately uh, a third of the way into the season. Um, Tyler Boyd is, is basically, you know, a close your eyes, cross your fingers, hope it's humor and fantasy asset in 2021.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, the thing is one of the knocks on Boyd was a knock that I think a lot of people gave on Jarvis Landry for a long time, which was, this guy's just a compiler. He needs high volume. He's putting it all together on short throws that are you know likely to be caught, but they're not really doing a lot. So you need to string together a high volume of these, which is fine because at the time it was happening. Fast forward now to 2021, and we're in this situation where... uh he might be being used in a way that's similar to how he was, but he's not being used often enough. And it's kind of rendered him not worthy of the draft capital that many managers invested into him. And then the other thing is we have CJ Uzama scoring at a fairly frequent pace touchdowns, which if they went to Tyler Boyd would allow him to recoup his value, but it's not looking like we're going to see a turn, um, of, of the situation where Tyler Boyd starts scoring a lot of touchdowns because we have other players significantly Jamar Chase doing it on long touchdowns, taking away that opportunity for it to happen. So disappointing on that front, I think at this point, clearly Chase has to be valued above Higgins. I think that Chase heading into next year and redraft is going to be one of the top guys, as you suggested, as people yeah. are working through the way that they're valuing players from a dynasty perspective. Jamar chase needs to be right up at the top. As you said, you know, the efficiency is insane. He's doing everything that you want him to do with the work that he's getting. So very encouraging for him. Um, I think that we've established that things are definitely, uh, bearish right now for Tyler Boyd. I think for Higgins too, he probably takes a little bit of a hit, um, in, because you're going to have this delta between what people thought he was going to be in the beginning of the season where he sits now. Final question for the show, Curtis. Do you think that that might present an opportunity where you could kind of buy him under value in Dynasty?
2: Uh, yeah, maybe. Uh, maybe. It is it is a little dangerous, though, because the longer he's out uh, and and the longer Uzama um, you know, continues to produce, that gives the team a second kind of power. Mm-hmm. scoring area of the field and that's where Higgins that's really the only place where Higgins has separated himself from Boyd even in terms of production because they're they're neck and neck in targets they're neck and neck in, uh, Higgins actually uh, completing the catch on on 10% fewer of his targets uh, but they're averaging the same number of receiving yards per game I mean uh, for just 48 so it really just comes down to the fact that you know Higgins has scored two touchdowns in his four games played and, and Boyd's only scored one in his, in his six games played. So, uh, but we also have Uzama scoring three touchdowns across his six games. So, you know, of course he had a multi but and he's doing a lot of this without Higgins in the lineup. But um, in terms of buying low, you know, I think in, in redraft, yeah, maybe, I mean, he's averaging 12.3 PPR game. That's, you know, that's, that's flexus kind of low end. Um or middling wide receiver three level production in dynasty that's tough. Um, I, I think Higgins Higgins uh, managers were really excited uh, about his rookie season and are going to see what Joe Burrow is doing. That the offense is on the uptick. When you look around the NFL, there are plenty of offenses that support um you know, two, two, at least two wide receivers. You know, you think of what the Rams have done for several years with, you know, this year, it's more Cup 1, Woods 2, but for the last handful of years, it's been a 1A, 1B situation. Uh, we've got the same thing going on to calf. You can kind of go around the league, as, you know, Thielen and Jefferson, all kinds of Batman and Robin type stuff. So Higgins is still a great dynasty asset uh, to be holding on to. The, the group that would likely be willing to move him might be those who um, just selected in their startup Um, this past year and, you know, didn't spend a rookie pick on him, uh, and, and, you know, just aren't quite as invested. So definitely there's a little bit, uh, especially if that he is on a roster of a a competing team, maybe you can move somebody like an Adam Thielen, uh, and, uh, you know, a a third or something like that, Uh, a player who's scoring a little bit more in 2021. Uh, if you're in, in, you're a rebuilder, don't necessarily think it makes sense to target him uh, with the idea that he's going to help lead your team to victory in 2021 though.
1: Yes. Uh, fair enough. Fair enough. So we will close. I'm just going to mention two names. As I've been saying now every week, I don't even feel that I should be, that we should be even talking about the waiver wire, because if people aren't interested in the waiver wire, they need to go to Rotovis and check out Sam Wallace's yep. article. Probably the deepest... Uh, waiver wire article out there i can't say i've looked at everyone but i don't remember ever seeing any as in-depth as sam's where he lists as many players so the two names i have for people out there pat fryermuth the rookie tight end Mm. getting about seven targets a game in an offense now that is uh looking for production uh in the wake of juju smith schuster's season ending injury so he's a name to pay attention to And then also Chris Evans running back on Cincinnati, uh, who might be able to carve out more of a role as things move forward. Uh, If you caught any of the action this weekend, you might have heard his name once or twice. So we will be back later in the week. Appreciate everybody hanging out with us. And uh, hopefully after Monday night wraps up, your teams are in the win column.